0: Okay, so before we get into tonight, uh, I just want to give you a quick encouragement, okay? Uh, I was encouraged in our time of of prayer before chapel, and the word joy was thrown out a few times, which is a good word to use in a season of stress. Amen. Amen? Amen? Yeah, it's a good word to use in a season of stress, is joy, because joy isn't just a feeling, right? It's not just an emotion, it's, it's a decision and a choice to make that we can look at everything through the lens of joy, not the lens of stress. Amen? Amen? Okay, we got a few here, I love it. Yeah, wow. All right, I guess there's a little bit more convincing that needs to be done. So this is what I want to encourage you in. We have been singing basically every Wednesday and every Monday about songs of mountains and then praising God on the mountains and then praising God in the shadows of the mountains, right? It's easy to sing those when times are good. But when we say we're going to praise Him in the mountains and the shadows of the mountains, we're going to praise Him in the shadows of the mountains. Amen? Amen. Come on, where does fruit grow? In the valley, not on the top, okay? So it's in these valley seasons where there's stress of papers and there's stress of all that's going on. It's in those moments that the fruit is grown, that the character is developed. Amen? Amen. Come on, come on. So I want to give you a word of encouragement. And this word of encouragement is this. I've been saying this to our leadership teams. I've been saying this to some of our student council. I've been saying this to our RA teams. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And this is on behalf of our entire staff, faculty, Kim and I and all of you, all of us. We believe in you. Like We believe in your capacity. We believe in your capability. We had a great conversation in Kim's office today that Kim got a little heated in a really good way (laughs) about how amazing our students are. And what they're capable of and what they can do. We believe in you. And yes, it may be a difficult season. But you can do it. You may be a little bit overstressed and overtired, but it's not over. You can do it. It may be difficult, but you're not dead. Okay? You're here and you're working. So here's, here's the thing that I do in my own life. And many of you have been very kind the last couple of weeks in saying congrats on your push-up challenge. So here's the reason why I do that. Because there's a moment when you're working out, and that's not just in push-ups, but that's just the way that I did it, is when your body is saying, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this anymore, but mentally you're saying, no, you can still do this. You still got this. And there's that part where it's like your mind can tell your body what to do. It's really cool. It's a great moment of just self-control and discipline. And I do that because I, I hope and believe that if I can do it mentally, if I can do it physically, it will pour into my life emotionally and spiritually as well. And here we are in a season of a semester where emotionally and spiritually we may be tired. But we can say to ourselves, I can do it. I can do it. Yes, sure, I'm tired. But the game's not done yet. And you have it in you to do well. I believe in you guys. Now what I need all of you here in this room to do, if there's somebody a friend of yours, a classmate of yours that you know is not here in this room tonight because they're finishing their Herm paper or they're finishing their O.T. Theo paper or whatever. You need to, after tonight, go up to them and say, I believe in you. Don't reprimand them for missing. We'd love for them to be here, but tell them you believe in them. Okay? You with me? Okay, if you're with me, let's say, let's go. Okay, good. Right on. Okay, I, I think we have an awesome uh, sermon prepared here. Uh, I honestly do. Uh, like, I'm not trying to be like, it's me, it's not. It's the Lord and me together and him speaking to me, and I'm excited to preach tonight. So I'm hoping that you're excited to be here tonight. Yes. So I need a little bit of engagement, okay? Not just me sharing some words, but I need some words back from you, okay? Yes, sir, okay? What else can you say? Uh, One at a time. (laughs) What else can you say? Bars. Ride that bus. Somebody. David, where are you at? What are you going to say? Amen. Amen. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one. I'm ready to preach tonight. Honestly, God has been speaking to me big time in the last couple of weeks, and this story uh, has rocked. My mind has rocked the way that I think in so many ways and revealed a lot of things to me, which has been so, so cool that I really, really, really want to share with you tonight. So we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, and that has been our framework, and we've been talking about some major faith heroes. we talked about Abraham a couple of weeks ago. Kim did a great job talking about Moses last week, uh, and we're going to skip forward a couple of Scripture verses, and we're going to put them up on the screen on Hebrews 11, verses 29 to 31. So it says this, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. (laughs) Okay, everybody on three, say by faith. One, two, three. By faith. Okay, good. (laughs) These three lines, I find humorous. I find lots of scripture humorous, just the way that it's written out. But I also find it just amazing, these three lines. So, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. So we're talking the Red Sea parts the Exodus takes place out of Egypt and they're passing through to begin a very long, difficult journey of the walls of the Red Sea on either side of them. And then a the next sentence later, 40 years, four decades to another set of walls that actually come crumbling right down. And this picture of the beginning of what the journey in the desert is to the end of the journey of the desert. Forty years on the walls on either end of it. And then there's this quick sentence about Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Wow. So we're going to talk about the story of Rahab tonight. We're going to talk about the story of one of the most unique characters that I have heard that I have studied, that I have read about. But my goodness, did the Lord speak to me immensely in the last couple of weeks regarding Rahab. Does anyone know where the story is found? Joshua. Joshua? Great. Joshua chapter 2. So you can flip there. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Abraham and I titled my sermon, Faith Versus Fear. And it was this relationship back and forth of faith and then fear and needing the promises of God to reaffirm in him again what his purpose and his plan was. And today I'm titling my message, Faith in Fear. Yeah. Either really creative or super lazy, whichever you want to pick, okay? So Joshua chapter 2. Let's read it out. I'll read it out. You don't need to read it out with me. We're going to do the whole chapter, and that would just take way too long, okay? Here we go. It's up on the screen as well. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. I, you know how you can like go on the internet and look at the pronunciation of the word? And there's like the YouTube video of it. I can't say what the YouTube video said. Uh, But then I looked up the Hebrew pronunciation and it's more like a sh-team. There's a a gap there and I'm going to really pronunciate the gap. You got to say it. Sh-team. Like today, seriously, I did it again because I thought it was funny. And my volume was up. And I'm in my office, and it's like, shit. And I'm like, oh, volume down, volume down. (laughs) Sounded like I was cussing in my office today. (laughs) Joshua said, go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look. Some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. That's a lie. Verse 5. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. That's a lie. I don't know which they went. That's a lie. Go after them quickly and you may catch up with them. That is also a lie. Verse 6, it says, But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax. She had laid it on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and the earth below. Now then, please, swear to me by the Lord that you will show me kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope, through the window. Like, I think of movie scene, like, epicness in this moment, right? Like, they're hiding, and these guards, like, knock on the door, and they're, like, trying to be really quiet. And she's like, no, they're not here. And totally, like, boldface lies to them and sends them off on this goose chase and has this discussion, promise me that you'll remember me. And then she, like, lets them out this window. They climb down on this rope, middle of the night. It says for the house, uh, then it says they climbed down by a rope through the window, on verse 15, for the house she lived was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, like I'm just thinking, like she's like probably yelling out the window, right? They're on the ground, and she's like speaking out to them as this last word of hope from her. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, then go on your way. And the men yell back up to the window, and they say, this oath you had made us, Swear will not be binding on us unless, when you enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord on the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside your house and into the streets, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, you will be released from the oath you made us swear." Agreed, she replies. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Very poetic in that imagery, similar to that of the Passover. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back, They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. Then Joshua said, The Lord was surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Oh, what a picture. What a scene. How wild is it, right? So here's Jericho, this city that's got these walls up around it in the city center of Jericho and this somewhat fortress of a city, the entrance to what is the promised land in which the Israelites are to take. And if they were to take Jericho, they would have ground and entrance and access points to the rest of the land in which that they are to take over. And it was a great strategy in regards to war, tactics, and whatnot, breaking into the city of Jericho. First. So, prior to breaking in, they're about 14 miles away, is where the Jordan River is, and they're on the other side of the Jordan River. And we have this character, Rahab. And I want to first, because I almost swore earlier, we'll not swear, but we'll talk about some F words tonight. And the first F word is fact. So, we're going to talk about some facts regarding Rahab tonight, okay? Rahab lived within the walls of Jericho. Her house was situated within the walls. And there's a lot of difference in like details of how thick the walls were, or how tall they were, or how high they were. There's some generalness in which is agreed upon, but then there's some specifics that are not. There's two walls, essentially. One that was about six feet wide uh, in like thickness, one that was about 12 feet in thickness, anywhere between 12 to 17 feet high for both of them. And then some levels where the towers were about 30 feet high. But here's the thing. The details of the walls... Don't necessarily really matter, except that her home was situated in between and attached more towards the outer wall, with that window in which she let let the uh, the spies climb down. But the thing about Rahab is that she was a prostitute; she was a harlot, and she had her home as a place in which that she would invite men into her home. She was also Uh, in Rabbinic text said an innkeeper. So she owned this place. It wasn't that she just worked in an industry in this location. It was her place that she owned and operated in. She was a Canaanite pagan is the definition of Rahab. And these were vile, evil people. Enemies of God, scripturally speaking. God has taken the Israelites and is using them to bring upon judgment to the Canaanites because of how wicked and how evil their actions were. They're so, so wicked. And here this Canaanite, wicked, enemy of Israel, prostitute, who is also a female, is the character in our story that we're talking about. So here's something about the Canaanites that I want to read to you, okay? Out of Deuteronomy, it says this. Deuteronomy chapter 20, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. He says, when you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If when they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage in battle, lay siege to that city. When the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, put the sword put to sword all the men in it. As for the women and children, the livestock and everything else in the city, you may take as plunder for yourselves and you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you for your en- from your enemies. That is a lot to take into in regards to the nature and character of God as well. He says this, however, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, the promised land, do not leave alive anything that breathes completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods who will sin against the Lord your God. Furthermore, in Deuteronomy 7, it says to Moses, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to possess and and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, I love that one, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and have, you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. And show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me and serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Wow. That is heavy. So she's got a couple strikes against her. That I don't think the Lord is very pleased with, with her nation. That the Israelites are to completely destroy everything and anything that breathes. Even their livestock. Even their animals that they were to kill. For the other nations, they could keep. But for these specifics, nothing at all. So she's a Canaanite. It's like that X Factor show, right? She's a female. Unfortunately, in that day and age, she's a prostitute. Right? Like she's got three strikes against her. But the fact is, fact is God will use whatever and whoever necessary to accomplish his will. Whatever and whoever necessary to accomplish his will. He'll use a massive wooden box with double of every animal that you can think of and have it float on water for a really long time. He'll use a donkey to speak to somebody. He'll use a blind person. He'll use a murderer. He will use a prostitute. And he can even use you. (laughs) Amen. Come on. I'll take a wow too. I'm okay with that. God uses who he wants to use. He will use anyone, whoever necessary to accomplish his will. The most obscure and unknown people to accomplish his purpose. Rahab went from a house of shame to the hall of fame. Hey. Where's my bars on that one? That was a rhyme even. How's the shame to the Hall of Fame? Bars? Bars? <laughs> okay, so Joshua, he sent these spies. Okay, to our, back to our story here. Joshua sent these spies to look over the land. And in verse 2, I believe it is, um, verse two, verse 1, sorry, says, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Just remember that, okay? Just hold on to that, especially Jericho. Because it's going to play big. So they came into Jericho, this land that was promised to them some 400 years ago, when we talked about a couple of weeks through Abraham, promised 400 plus years ago. And they just came from wandering in the desert. They've been walking around for 40 years, eating the same meal every morning, every lunch and every dinner for 40 full years. So here's this, like, recon mission that Joshua now is sending two spies. And again, this is somewhat of a um, deja vu, right? The leader of Israel sending a couple spies into the promised land to scope it out. Because it happened before, correct? How many spies were sent before? Twelve. Twelve. Ten were bad. Two were good. One of those... Yeah, one of those spies was Joshua himself. So he knew better, so he just sent two this time, okay? Sent the two spies into Jericho. And they snuck in. They snuck into Jericho, and they encountered Rahab and stayed at her place. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, she owned this place. and There's some uh, disagreements on her... Profession, because they knew that she operated in this industry herself, but being an owner of it makes her somewhat of an owner of a brothel in this house. And so I, I don't want to slot her in as someone who is like forced into the sex trafficking industry because she was also one of those who like, operated it. Now, there isn't proof, biblically, that she had others working for her. But so often we can think in this regard of, like, slavery and sex trafficking. We have to free those that are trapped in, right? Which, yes, we do. But what about those who are leading those organizations? And we think, man, they're, they're vile, and they're evil, and they're the enemy, and they should be sent away. And, but, but that's the person that God is using in this story. Those people need Jesus. Those people need Jesus. So here's this, this sweet girl who has all of these bra, 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 up against her. And she's detected by the king that she's holding these men in her place, in her home. And then she commits a couple more bra, X's <laughs> ain't done yet. So again, Canaanite female prostitute, the king's men, messengers, soldiers come to her place and she bold faced, lies to them. Says, I don't know where they came from, which she did. I don't know where they are, which she did. They've gone this way, which they hadn't because they were just upstairs in her place. So she lies and essentially commits treason to the king, lying to him to where they are. So we got five strikes that this lady has already on her resume. So a lying enemy prostitute God uses to fulfill his purpose and demonstrate his glory on earth. What? What? Add that to your theological confusion list because it's like on the top of mine and just mine being blown again and again over the last couple of weeks that, that this is the person that God is choosing to use to bring about the entrance of his entire nation into the promised land to fulfill a covenantal promise that he made 400 some odd years ago on this one person? Wow. We need to be reminded that God in his infinite wisdom chooses to work through people who we may believe have nothing to offer. Mm -hmm. That was a good time to say amen, David. (laughs) Come on, we need to be reminded that God in his infinite wisdom chooses to work through people who we may believe have nothing to offer. So my second F word is fear. Fear. So verse 9, she tells the spies that everyone in their city is frightened of the Israelites. Doesn't that feel good sometimes, though, when people are like, oh, yeah, they're totally afraid of you or whatever. You can kind of feel stuck up. Not these guys. But here she is talking about how the entire city is frightened of her. Frightened from the stories and events She talked about the Red Sea parting. Stories and events that took place four decades ago. 40 years ago. And I'm going to assume that she is not even 40. I'm just going to take that assumption in this case. That she's probably not even 40. So these are stories and events that took place prior to her birth. And her and all those in her city are afraid because of these stories of the power of God and the people of the Israelites. A great fear of you has fallen on us, is what she says to the spies. And again, she doesn't know about God. She hasn't read or heard or been studied up on the teachings of God. But these testimonies have placed fear in the hearts of their enemies. Which is, again, wild to think that the original spies that went to scope out the land... And the 10 of them were like freaked out. They're too big. Their armies are too massive. Their walls are too big. There's no way that we could take this land. And yet their enemies were afraid of them the whole time. The whole time. Their enemies were afraid of them. Rahab not only feared about this power of God, but she came to believe in the power of God. As well, Because she says, I know who you are. She heard these stories. She's heard about the miracles. The hearts of the people in Jericho were melting in fear. And in fear, she heard about this power. And in fear and regard, she became to believe in this power of God. And she said, oh, this is wild. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Like she's speaking like it's already done. That her fear that she had of this power turned into this faith that she had in God. It's a unique story. Not just because it's a prostitute who has this faith. It's a unique story because she was a prostitute that expressed belief in God more than those who claim to belong to him in the first place. What? That she has faith expressed belief in a God more than those who claim to belong to him from the beginning. She hasn't seen the miracles. She hasn't seen the Red Sea part. She hasn't seen the cloud go before or the fire go before. She hasn't seen the glory of Mount Sinai and the sounds going on at that time. She hasn't been seeing miraculous food appear every single day for 40 years. Water come out of the rock. She hasn't seen any of that. Yet her faith, was stronger than those who belonged to God in the first place. That is why the Israelite nation those who were older did not make it in to the promised land. The Lord had made a bigger impression on Rahab than he did on the people of Israel. Wow. Rahab's fear turned into faith, which is our third our third F word for the night. Rahab acted in faith even before she knew God. But but she must have known something of God. Because, oh, it's so beautiful. When she refers to God in verse 11, when she refers to God, the Hebrew word is Yahweh. She says, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. She didn't use a Canaanite name for a God. She used the Hebrew intimate personal name of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. So she must have had some knowledge, some interest from her fear turning into faith. My goodness, she desired something so much more than the life that she was living. And so... Here in this section, the Lord your God is God in heaven above, and on earth below she proclaims to the two spies. There's only four times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew writings that which this phrase is mentioned. So there was some depth of desire that she had inside of her to be close and personal and intimate with the God of the Israelites. What an amazing statement of faith. Like I said, someone who has never seen the deliverance, never saw the exodus, only heard the stories, never saw the fire and the cloud, and never saw all of these miraculous things took place, but yet her faith was stronger than the Israelites who saw everything. We walk by faith, not by sight. God looks for faith in the midst of fear and moves in an astounding ways to reward those who believe. And so our story, she gets these two men to promise her that they would spare her and her families. And the men agreed on two conditions, okay? That first, she must keep the red scarlet rope hanging out her window from the city wall. And secondly, she must have her father and her mother and her brothers and her sisters all in her place together on the day of their return. And if they don't, that's on their head. And if she tells people, well, that's on them. Okay, so at the beginning, our first F word, we talked about facts, talking about who Rahab is, explained a bit about Jericho and the situation at hand. Our second was fear, that in fear she learned who God was, but in that place found faith, fear of regard of respect to Yahweh and desired a personal, intimate relationship with him. But faith must always be accompanied with what? Say it again louder. Works. Works, But I needed an F word. So I put follow through. (laughs) Faith (laughs) needs to be accompanied by follow through. Works then came as a result of her faith. Okay, your behavior. Come on, I better hear something for this. Your behavior is a reflection of your belief. Your behavior is a reflection of your beliefs. Those who live by faith will produce actions consistent with what they believe. Follow through. James, in his epistle, he talks about this relationship between faith and works, faith and deeds, faith and follow through, and how they are together and should always be together. This is what he says in James chapter 2. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. He's got to be saying that like sarcastically, right? Go in peace. Keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. dead. It's dead. It's nothing. It's useless. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is no... Or Sorry, you believe me... Let's try that again. You believe that there is one God... Good. Even the demons believe that. And then there's like the, the dash. And then he's like, and shudder. I guess, again, gotta be sarcastic, right? I love scripture. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham? C- Abraham? Hey. Hey, we talked about Abraham. Wow, I didn't know that. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Wow, James must have read the same thing. Wow, that's cool. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. Wow, he must have read Hebrews 11 as well. His faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He went through the same sermon we went through. It's amazing. (laughs) And he was called God's friend. And you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not even... Rahab! Wow! James has got it. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What? She had faith, but it needed to be brought by follow through. And she had two things that was required of her. To hang this thread rope out her window, and to gather her family into her home. Which, we know her background, and we know what that home was, and we don't know much about her family, if they were respectful people in the community or not, but that has got to be difficult to bring your parents into your home, in which the the use of your home we're all aware of. That had to be difficult. I know I'm reading into it, but that's a tough one. And to try to convince your mom and your dad that this is the place that you need to be. That there's this promise that was given to me by these men that you got to come here because this is where we'll be safe. That's got to be a hard convincing. And so I think back to that picture where she's yelling out the window to the spies, right? And she says, go to the hills for a couple of days and, and they'll be looking for you and but don't forget about me. And they respond back to her. Do these things. Follow through. We promise we'll be back. And this is what, the, I, again, I love scripture. This is what happens. God's a patient God. His timeline is very different than ours. Okay, after the spies left her house, they hid in the hills for three days. After arriving back at camp, They stay there for three days. And after those three days are over, the Israelites, they cross the Jordan River on dry ground. So again, God enters the desert with the splitting of the water and he exits the desert again with the splitting of water. So beautiful scripture. God somewhat does like a flex again. I can do it once, I can do it again, right? So once they crossed the Jordan River, they stayed for at least three more days. Because they took some rocks from the bottom of the river and they assembled. They assembled a memorial for their children. They built an altar for their children to remind them of the great things that God has done. I love that. And then Joshua had all the men take upon themselves the sign of the covenant of circumcision, all the men that hadn't gone through that covenant, had to go through the covenant. And they took more days to recover from the covenant of circumcision. And then Joshua reinstituted the Passover and the manna from heaven ceased forever. That would have been a really good meal, right? Like how good would that meal have been? Because all of those that were 20 and up in the Israelite nation they passed away in the desert. So it was only those that were 20 and under and then those born within the 40 years are entering into the promised land. So the oldest you got really is 60 around this time. So that means for 40 years, they've been eating the same thing day in and day out. I can see some 60-year-old men saying, my goodness, this meal is good. Some of them, their entire lives, they've been eating the same meal. This is their first time they get to taste anything different but I find it humorous that there's this epic meeting between these spies and Rahab and we're promising to come back for you. And then days upon days upon days upon days upon days of waiting. And then they cross over and they wait some more. And then they go through the covenant and they wait some more. And then they have this big barbecue. And I wonder if Rahab was thinking, where are these guys? I thought thought they were going to show up. But she had two things that she had to do. The red scarlet cord hanging from the window and the family at her place, which she does. And when they promised her, I love, man, I love what they say. Verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. Wow. Our lives for your lives. That's our promise to you. You do these things, And we will own up to what we said we were promised to do. Our lives for your lives. They didn't give any deadline. They didn't give a date exactly when it was going to happen. They did not tell her when the battle would begin or even when it would be over and when they return nothing. They just made this promise that they will come back. They gave her their word. And that was enough for her. The one who has five X's plus more only needed a word and a promise. And that is why God regards Rahab as one of the great women of faith in scripture. And so it makes me think, did, did Joshua send the spies in really for tactical information, to see how big the walls were? to see how thick they are, to see how tall they are, how big their army is. you really think that that's why the spies were sent? And I'm not convinced of it. I'm just not convinced of it. Because no matter how thick they are, God's going to knock them down. No matter how big their army is, he's not going to go through the same thing again that happened before with the original spies of doubt and uncertainty. God's going to come in and make sure that this time it happens. So why did he send the spies in? And it says in, again, verse 1, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Because I believe more than tactical need and information to enter the land, that the spies went in for one purpose and one purpose only, and it was to find one of the most faith-filled women that was not a part of the Israelite camp went in for the one to save this woman from her life of sin and pain and sorrow because he knew the faith that she had without seeing anything. She not only feared the power of God, but she expressed faith in her fear. Belief in God more than those who claimed to belong to him in the first place. I believe God delayed the taking of the promised land to save Rahab and her family. To save the one. Because of all the places, right, of all the places in which that her house could be situated and all the places that the spies could say to her, make sure your family is here in your, in your home, is where? In the wall. In the wall in which they knew was going to come down. That's Not the safest place. That's actually the most unsafest place. So eventually, after the Israelites, their army, the covenant, the barbecue, they get there and they start marching around the city in complete silence. Takes a loop around the city center wall. The next day, loop. The next day, loop. Saying nothing for six days. Oh, I bet you the questions in Rahab's home. And her dad, what are they doing, right? Has to, come on. And finally on the seventh day, they start blowing their trumpets and they start yelling. And I guarantee her family is like, Rahab, are you sure? Are you sure this is where we're supposed to be? And the walls are shaking. Guarantee there's dust in their room. Are you sure that this is where we're supposed to be? Yes, I know, I'm sure because of this promise. They said, our lives for your life. Our lives for your life. And where this hit me so much this last week is that we too live on the promise of a man. We too come from a sinful world full of idolaters, full of adulterers, full of sin, that he came and he left and gave us a promise. Just like Rahab's story, no specific timetable No date of his return Uncertainty it, may, it sure feels like it's taken a lot longer Than what it originally thought from the beginning And do you think he came just to look around? A little renaissance mission To get some intel and tactical information you think Jesus came here just to get information? No He came For you Just like the men went for Rahab. Just like God sent for her, he sent for us. And he promises the same thing that they did to Rahab. Even more so. My life for your life. That I will give up my life. I will promise you that I will give up my life for your life. For your life. And that he is one day going to return. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story of this woman that had nothing going for her. in all the wrong situations and places. But had this faith so deep and personal that God went after her. And I believe God desires to come after us too. So Rahab, again, this is how amazing God is. He cares more about matters of our heart than the letter of the law, okay? Rahab comes into the nation of Israel. She marries this guy named Salmon. I don't know if that's exactly how it's pronounced, but that's how it's spelled, English language. Probably was a pretty good fisherman. And she marries this guy named Salmon, who then has a kid named Boaz. What? beautiful story of this wonderful gentleman who then repeats this love for an alien not an actual one but outside the you know nation of Israel you get where I'm going This gentleman who shows love and mercy and grace and compassion and just sees this this value of faith being brought down from generation to generation to generation. And Boaz married Ruth and they had a child, Obed, which is Rahab's grandson. And Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the great-grandson. And Jesse was the father of King David, who was Rahab's great-great-grandson. God is in the business of redeeming and renewing people. So why don't we stand tonight? And I want—I want to finish with this. In our Hebrews 11 chapter, Kim's going to talk next week and close us off. And I'm so looking forward to it the beginning of her section, and I'm not going to get into it, the author says, I don't have any more time. Right? I don't have any more time to talk about. And he lists off a couple people. He says, I don't have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David. What? King David? Like, you don't have time to talk about King David? The best king in the nation in the history of Israel? King David. And yet you have time to talk? about Rahab? What? And God is saying, I don't look at people based on the standard of importance and significance that we give them. He looks at their heart. He looks at their heart. And God is in the business of redeeming and renewing and transforming. And it's our faith in which that He desires to see in us. And so what I want to do tonight we're going to sing a song Uh, and I want to sing this Agnes Day one but then we need to do a Waymaker after And, and we didn't have planned this but when we were singing Waymaker earlier all I could think of was Rahab like all I could think of is imagine if she was singing this song like how wild that would be and so we're just going to sing a couple songs and if you want to come to the front, you can come to the front. We're not going to do this massive like thing here. But I just want you to come to a place of understanding that Jesus desires to be the Yahweh of your life. He desires to be close and personal and intimate with you. No matter your past, no matter your titles. Because see, here's the thing. Rahab's title went with her. Okay? In the New Testament, her title went with her. And often our titles can follow us, but God doesn't look at our titles. God doesn't look at that. He looks at our hearts and he cares about what's inside. And some of you may feel, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not good enough for God to use me. Rahab didn't clean herself up and then be used by God. She was still a prostitute and God used her. Okay? So if you feel you're not qualified, you're in good company. You're in good company. Okay? So let me finish with this and these guys are going to take it. Isaiah 43.1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. Not by your title, not by your past, but by your name. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you're in the business of redemption. You're in the business of renewal. You're in the business of taking those of us who are very unqualified and placing us in a position, a position near your throne as an heir to you and as a co-heir to Christ. And you're the one who gives us a new title. And you're the one who gives us new value and new worth. And so we just give our hearts to you tonight. Spirit, speak to us, encourage us, and edify us tonight, we pray.